Ja. <laughs> Welcome to Yell Parks Pod, the number one podcast for yelling about parks. Today we have four hosts. I want to do a, a YouTuber intro, but maybe that'll alienate the audience. <laughs> hey folks, it's you gal bears. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm Yell Parks Pod's number one bear correspondent here and excited to tell you about Katmai National Park. I'm Ellery, returning from last episode. I use they, them pronouns. Yep, I'm Nick again. Hello, uh, they, them pronouns, please. And I'm Ola. I use em or they, them pronouns. So, yeah, let's jump into our topic this episode, Katmai National Park. It was... First established as a national monument in 1918, the land was expanded uh, several times before it was made a national park on December 2nd in 1980 by President Jimmy Carter. It is located on the southwestern peninsula of Alaska near Kodiak Island, and it is one of the least visited national parks at the very least in the United States, because it is only accessible by a boat or plane. There are many other significant things about it but we'll, that will go more in-depth. I believe our first topic here is Fat Bear Week. I'm so excited. It's very exciting. Bears, you have, you have some things to share with us about that? I do. So... A Fat Bear Week is uh, near and dear to my heart. It is the uh, March Madness of Chunky Bear hibernation. <laughs> so starting in 2012, Explore.org put up cameras showing the Brooks Falls, which is where, you know, dozens and if not hundreds of bears come to, come to feed prior to the winter so that they can get the calories they need for their hibernation. Then starting in 2014, people just loved seeing these fat bears so much. Mm -hmm. The Fat Bear Week organization started up, by the way, fatbearweek.org, and we started out with Fat Bear Tuesday, and it's just expanded from there, as have the bears. (laughs) (laughs) So... In terms of what we're actually looking at here, so the natural phenomenon that's occurring is the bears getting chunky for their winter hibernation. Mm -hmm. Does anyone want to ballpark how many calories a bear eats per day as it's getting ready to hibernate? Oh, I mean, it's got to be like thousands, right? Like, yeah, so many. Probably four or five thousand. And I I feel like that's not enough, but... Right. Like I know I know the amount that they like burn per day in their hibernation is like so greatly reduced, but even then they're such a big animal. Yeah. Even just to sustain them while they're sleeping or hibernating or in torpor, that's gonna need a lot. Right. So with some napkin math, the National Park Services for Katmai list uh, the bears is eating 
up to 30 salmon a day and each salmon can be 4,000 4,500 calories (laughs) wow so real quickly that's 120,000 I don't think that's quite what they what they pull in they don't eat the whole salmon Mm -hmm. they prioritize the fatty efficient parts Mm -hmm. Uh, something you'll notice if you pull up the live streams is the birds have caught on to this and will hang out by the stream so that when a mostly eaten fish drifts by they can uh, get at its remains with the bears doing all the hard work with the hunting right Mm -hmm. i love that they're just friends yeah Yeah, they're, they're friends they're just vibing and so the reason that fat bear week is so important is similar to what we talked about last week with the reintroduction of wolves to Yellowstone. Uh, So bears are this charismatic megafauna, which Mm -hmm. is this classification that we give to animals that it's easy to get the public to care about because they're cute and they're big. Uh, You know, wolves are not as big, but I, I think also fall under this classification. Right. And so with the public interested, these preservation efforts, like with the wolves in Yellowstone from our last episode, create this massive umbrella of protections for the rest of the animals in the park. The bears depend on the salmon. The fish depend on the salmon. And because it is easier to get the general public interested in protecting the bears, that's what we can do here. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that it's like was really cool to see with this is that like a really easy gateway into caring about conservation is like here you get to (laughs) look at a bunch of fat bears which are perfect for the internet right Mm -hmm. but then once you get past the initial like fat bear bracket then it's like okay what do we do to make sure that this keeps happening and we get more fat bear weeks Mm. yes exactly so, actually, as, as Olo was, had mentioned in the info, the park is one of the least visited in the United States. However, on the uh, Alaskan Peninsula, there are more bears than people. Hmm. Katmai itself has about 2,200 bears, and they're all getting ready for winter around the same time this sort of Mm -hmm. late summer early early autumn season and so just massive massive area of chunky chunky bears (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot to love yeah that was something that i saw i'm gonna take us on a little detour when i was looking at um into some of the park history is that like when it was being established, like there were significant chunks of the park history were like it was a national monument on paper, but there was just nobody there to management. Like they had temporary rangers that would come from um, Mount Denali National Park, but like they didn't have permanent residents for a really long time. Aside, I assume, from, like, the Native American population that was there for a while before it was made into a monument. But it's, like, it's wild to think that, like, yeah, it's just bears and creatures. 
just hanging out, having a good time. And so just a little bit more on the bears and Fat Bear Week. So we all came together uh, because of Blaseball, which celebrated mm-hmm. Fat Bear Week, what, in 2020? Or does it or does it celebrate annually? I forget. I know we we had a big watch party last year. I know I know Magic did last year, and I think it spread over into like the general channels. So it might just be every year. I hope we make it an every year tradition. Yeah, Bears, I think that you were the only one who would have been there for it. Of of the four of us recording here, the rest of us joined baseball after Fat Bear Week 2020. (laughs) And we're only here for Fat Bear Week 2021. Oh, that's fair. (laughs) That's That's fair. (laughs) And um, one of the things that's so great about the bracket is... It's just vibes based, you know. In 2020, our boy 747, big as a plane, was was the supreme uh, victor. Otis mm-hmm. has won four of the last eight uh, Fat Bear competitions. So, as far as the bracket is concerned, I think Otis might be one of the greatest of all time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. chunky bears and i think it's important that we include some fat bear photos in the show notes for this week yeah yeah yeah. absolutely 100 percent um so my question is and it's okay if we don't have an answer because i know that i don't see the answer on our notes here is this like are the results here actually used for like citizen science is it like eyeballing this or eyeballing which bears the fattest is this actually used for science or do they actually like weigh the bears also in addition i don't believe so the park services has a fairly hands-off approach with the bears Mm -hmm. because when they get too close to people, too used to having people around, that's when we get into sort of these issues where humans and bears together leads to, you know, animal confrontations and this sort of thing. So they try and keep take a light hand uh, approach to the bears. I was actually reading, I remember this coming up like during some of the Fat Bear Week watch parties and they have like different ways and it also kind of goes back to having those webcams where they have pretty good ways of like estimating the bear's weight and i think it was like they use um like remote scanning like laser scanning to like get the relative size but it's all just kind of estimating Mm -hmm. so i guess i guess in addition contributing your vote could be contributing to like citizen science in that way of like being extra eyes on mm-hmm. which bear looks like it's got gained the most weight or how they look in comparison to each other i mean of course the bracket is also it's mainly we love it because it's fun and we love to look at the pictures of the chunky bears but yeah i get potentially it could also be used for that sort of science on comparing the bears. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I want to mention is Fat Bear Jr., which 
started up last year, 2021, where we can see which bear cubs had the greatest uh, the greatest performance, the, the, the chief of chunk, as it were. I have to go back and look at the bracket. Which was the cub that made it in last year? Yes, so the winner of the Fat Bear Week or the Fat Bear Junior mm-hmm. bracket does go on to be last round competition for um proper Fat Bear Week. Uh last year's winner was 132's Spring Cub, who I'm going to post this picture in the chat. Uh who really is just schmoovin. <laughs> Truly a phenomenal picture. Like, yeah. If you don't look at any of the other bears, the 132 Spring Cub, you have to see. It looks like, as we are recording this, the 2022 Fat Bear Junior contestants will be announced tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Based on the website. Yes. So. Yeah. Brackets for Fat Bear Junior drop tomorrow and proper fat bear week is later in the week i think Mm -hmm. this year fat bear week junior is september 29th and 30th fat bear week is october 5th through 11th and brackets are being revealed on october 3rd for fat bear week i guess tomorrow at time of recording they're they're revealing for fat bear junior We'll see if the episode is out in time to... <laughs> if not, you can all follow along with us um, as we vote in Fat Bear Junior. And I guess Fat Bear Week proper. Yeah, we'll definitely have some stuff on our Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Something that's also exciting, obviously brackets have not been posted or anything. Um, I wish that I had written this down as a note. Um But one of the bears from Fat Bear Week last year had four cubs this year, which, as people know, it's really unusual for a batch of four to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, One be born to survive. So, like, that's just really exciting. That's unusual. We're going to see four little, little bear cubs running around that are all siblings, at least, so... Yes. Uh, w- one of the benefits of the webcams is being able to see the whole range of bears. There are, you know, adult bears feeding their young, teaching them how to fish. It's really just a great nature viewing experience. And those streams are, are available on YouTube, so you can watch the, the Brooks Falls at any time. If anyone has any more questions about bears... Uh, it is a special interest of mine. <laughs> Otherwise, I believe we have Nick up next, who is going to talk to us about using Katmai National Park for astronaut training. Yeah, which is real interesting. I had no idea about this until I was like poking around on the internet, seeing, you know, what topics we can talk about for this episode. So... Yeah, Katmai National Park is was actually used to help train the Apollo astronauts. So, for context, on June 6, 1912, the biggest volcanic eruption of the 20th century occurred. This was the Novarupta Katmai eruption, obviously in Katmai National Park, which 
was crazy. Um, <laughs> we're talking, like, smoke for days, like, the sun blocked out, like, completely changing the landscape, like, worldwide, we're, like, seeing ash, like, huge. Um, as a result of that, though, this volcanic eruption formed the Valley of 10,000 Smokes, which, um, so the Valley of 10,000 Smokes is named after the multitude of fumaroles that mm-hmm. existed in this valley due to the volcanic eruption. So what fuma- a fumarole is, is, like, you know, in, like, obviously nature documentaries, you see these huge, like, vents of smoke just coming out of, th- or steam, rather, coming out of the ground. Oh. That's what it is. Okay, I'm glad you explained because I was going to ask. Yeah, I had no idea what this word is. So that's what it is. And you see it on like, you know, I've mentioned before things that are used to like, in like sci-fi things that are like, ooh, look at this cool alien planet. Like Mm -hmm. we straight up have these on Earth. Like I always come back to this of nature is cool. (laughs) Nature is cool. So that's why the Valley of 10,000 Smokes was named that because it had all these huge steam vents constantly going off for multiple years. Well, maybe not, unfortunately. I don't actually know enough about them to say whether it's good or bad. That is no longer occurring. Probably good. Um, But the landscape of the Valley of 10,000 Smokes was drastically changed from this volcanic eruption And so there's a lot of, like, volcanic rock and, like, the landscape is very rocky and, like, it kind of looks like the moon, Mm -hmm. which is why um, in the 1960s, NASA scientists decided to do geology training in Katmai National Park, along with a couple other national parks, notably Big Bend, Craters of the Moon, National Monument, and the Grand Canyon, they decided to do they decided to do geology training. So essentially what would happen is that these Apollo astronauts would be dropped off by helicopter, once again, because you can only reach the park by helicopter or boat. They would be dropped off in the middle of the valley with just a communication device and like some geology equipment. And they would give them little to no information. And the whole purpose of this is to be able to talk through their communication device, talk to geologists, so scientists who study rocks, and learn how to, like, better communicate the landscape and, like, how to describe what's going on and, like, how to collect samples of, like, their environment. So each Apollo astronaut had a minimum of 16 of these like, geology training experiments. Mm -hmm. So they would be dropped off at one of the natural parks that was mentioned and, like, learn about the surface of the moon and, like, things like that. Different types of rocks, like, just anything about it. And I just think that's neat. (laughs) That, it feels like that's the plot of a Twilight Zone episode. That we've, like, taken these astronauts, dropped them off, in kind of the middle of nowhere, and then told them, actually, this is the moon. Go do science. Yeah, go figure it out. Can I ask, did Neil Armstrong meet any bears? (laughs) (laughs) So, as far as I know, no. But they did see them 
from far, far away. And the only thing notable, um, I believe it was Neil Armstrong. This is not important. We can totally cut this from the episode. <laughs> no, I want to hear. <laughs> one, I read a um, like a report from one of the geologists that mm-hmm. was like helping train them. Um, and like one of his notable stories was at Katmai National Park. I believe it was Armstrong. Like incorrectly took a sample of a rock and like caused a wound on his arm. It like mm-hmm. shot off and broke off. And then I was like, ooh, you know, like, this is why we do this. Like, we need to learn how to take these samples because if you mess up your space suit, um, that's real bad. So Oh yeah. Yeah. So that was just like a fun little thing. Getting a cut like in the middle of a mm-hmm. national park is like not ideal, but at least treatable. Yeah. You know, tearing open your spacesuit on the moon, probably really bad. Probably real bad, yeah. I don't think you come back from that. Probably not. <laughs> I do have uh, one fun fact mm-hmm. about uh, the Nova Repta eruption. Because the surrounding area was just carpeted in ash, not unlike Pompeii, we have really well-preserved ruins of, of indigenous peoples that have been being excavated to understand how they live. Like, it's very, very cold up there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Turns out there's a lot of ancestral or uh, knowledge passed down on how to build homes that keep you dry and how to avoid the volcanic eruptions when they happen because it wasn't the first time. And so there's just a there's just a fascinating history under that layer of ash that's mm-hmm. been preserved. That's really cool. Yeah. That, yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. I mean, the landscape was like changed forever by this by this mm-hmm. huge volcanic eruption. Like like the eruption happened and it wasn't years until people went back to like actually like look into sciencey stuff people just avoided the area oh interesting which is wild yeah um was there anything else that you had nick no i just thought that was real cool but i know that you looked into some cool space stuff that i would love to hear about i did so um it's a very big tangent that i want to take us on but i guess technically like related to Katmai, in that it it's building on the Apollo space mission. So back in, you know, the 60s and 70s, we had the Apollo space mission where astronauts were sent to train in Katmai. And over the last couple of years, NASA has been working towards um, starting a new space program, uh, the Artemis space program, which hopefully they will get their first launch soon. But it is essentially a return to uh, crewed missions to the moon, potentially beyond. So basically since the Apollo missions have ended in 1972, there have not been any people on the moon. There have been other lunar missions, mostly by other countries, so the Soviet Union, Japan, um, the European Space Agency has also uh, done some missions, but none of them have put people back on the moon. And the kind of express mission 
uh, or one of the express missions for the Artemis program is to get people back on the moon. So this first launch that they're doing is not crewed by people. They're just trying to test the new Orion spacecraft and the new space launch system that they have, um, which will hopefully, if all of the tests are successful, let them in future missions have crewed spaceflight. And there's been some really cool interviews I was watching um, actually just this morning, an interview that Space.com did with Anne McLean, who is one of the potential members of the Artemis crew. They have not like officially announced anyone yet. But part of the mission of the Artemis program is to finally take women to the moon, to put people of color on the moon. And so they really are focusing on like diversity, which has been a historic problem with space agencies um, for a long time, like up until very recently, women have received less flight time or time in space, I guess is a better way to put it, mm-hmm. because of the different radiation requirements that NASA has. So you can only be exposed to so much radiation per year. And the way that it was assessed was very sexist and kind of arbitrary. And a lot of the information that they were using was modeled off of the um, bombing of Hiroshima and the aftermath of that and not necessarily using actual data from people who have been to space, which is an interesting choice, but is another different tangent. So we had a couple attempted launches at the beginning of September, both of which were postponed. There was supposed to be one um, at the end of September that has already been canceled because of an incoming tropical storm. So hopefully in October... We will see Artemis 1 launch. Um, but it's been very cool to see like a lot of the new developments that are coming. It's a little... It's very exciting, but I was looking into it more. And there's also some stuff that has been giving me pause. Because it's like... NASA has been very transparent about kind of publishing their roadmap. And one of the goals of the Artemis mission is like, yeah, we're going to have people go back to the moon and do science um and then we're gonna build like a lunar outpost and then from there maybe we'll set up an outpost on mars it's like hmm nasa does space colonialism not so sure about this Hmm. but i don't know we'll see how it turns out they've when i say they nasa has been pretty transparent about their mission goals they've been partnering with a lot of other countries in the Americas, in Europe, uh, in Asia, I think um, in the Middle East as well. I don't know if they're partnering with any countries in Africa at the moment, but their goal is to work with kind of the international science community. And from what I understand, the first crewed flight of the Artemis mission is going to include a member of the Canadian Space Agency. So we'll kind of see how it goes. It'll be interesting to see to see what happens with that. Mm-hmm. That's that's wild. That's super cool. I I hadn't uh heard about this. Yeah, 
and I think that's that's one of the things that's been like so interesting to look into this because every all of the coverage that I've seen of it is like, oh, America is going back to space. But then you actually look into what NASA is putting out in terms of their objectives and what they're trying to do and like who they're working with to do all of this stuff. I feel like a lot of it is getting lost in kind of that mainstream coverage. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, that's a total bummer. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cool. It's a total bummer that it's, like, portrayed in that way of, like, America is, like, going back to Mm -hmm. space. But, like, actually really cool collaborative science and work is going on. Yeah. But, you know, whatever will get you clicks, I guess. So I guess. (laughs) Right. And and attempting to diversify the space... Literally, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> seems important because mm-hmm. uh, you know I have to assume that most Americans can name uh, exactly two people that have been on the moon. Yeah, and they're both white dudes. So I think that even after all this time, going back will be this sort of cultural institution of we went back. And this time, it wasn't all white people. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's been really good to see this like focus on representation. So I'm hopeful because it's like, man, space is just really cool, so mm-hmm. cool. And it like every time I see, I mean, just looking at the roadmap of like oh, we're building a lunar outpost. We're trying to go, like, send people to other planets. There are questionable aspects to that, but there's also the part of me that's, like, a huge sci-fi nerd that's like, man, if this works for science, eventually it's technology that can be developed for everyone to let the everyday person participate in space exploration, you know? Probably vacation to Mars. <laughs> yeah, not anytime soon, but you know, like maybe during my lifetime. He's wild to think about. I mean, uh, I understand that that famously, uh, space, like the the development of space travel technology, mm-hmm. led to inventions like the memory foam mattress. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. At the very least, we'll be sleeping better. <laughs> Exactly. I'll take it. Just like the bears. Yeah. <laughs> Just like the bears. Somebody pitch NASA. Uh, I the, like that's gotta be a tagline. Hibernate like a bear on your new lunar mattress. <laughs> Wonderful. Eventually, this podcast will have sponsors, and we can get the the, the, <laughs> the mattress company sponsor like everybody else. There we go. And. <laughs> And we know our ta- the tagline. Our... Hit us up. No, no, don't do it for free. Don't do it for free. You have to cut that out. We're not doing it for free. <laughs> Just put a put a censorship. Uh, put a like wild goose honk. Yeah. Over the brand name. Did we have anything else on the Artemis project? Are there any questions about the Artemis project? I mean, there's a lot to talk about. I guess one of the the interesting things is that like they've developed a completely new rocketry system to launch the Orion capsule. So obviously one of the 
big hurdles to spaceflight is getting out of orbit (laughs) and then sustaining spaceflight. For the Artemis mission, they've like completely overhauled the launch system um, and built new, built, it's called the Space Launch System Rocket that's got this whole multi-stage system. I'm sure they have a diagram somewhere on the NASA website. So it's a very complicated, and I'm not an engineer, but according to NASA, this is the most powerful rocket system in the world, which will help send the crew capsule to other planets in our solar system, as well as making it easier to set up and sustain orbit around the moon. So that's what's up. why they've rebuilt this launch system rather than using the same launch system that they had been using for like the Apollo missions back in the 70s. That's super cool. Let's hope that there's not another volcanic eruption where we can send astronauts to train on <laughs> Martian soil. Yeah. That'd be a little bit of a bummer. Yeah. Just a little bit. A little bit much. So that is... Cat National Park. Yeah, a little bit park light, but still very cool. Yeah, well, Cat National Park and diversions. Yeah. Is there anything y'all would like to plug before we end our episode for good? Yeah, um, just because I didn't say it enough, Fat Bear <laughs> Week, um, that org, the brackets are starting soon. It's a, a wonderful time to see some chunky bears additionally in the in the research for this episode i joined the katmai national parks not so junior ranger program uh this is a a program they run for uh, anybody who's you know whether you visit the park or not where you can fill out a, a activity book to learn more about the park, learn about the indigenous peoples, learn about the bears, learn about fumaroles. Mm-hmm. And when you fill out the book, you send it in and they mail you a patch with a cute little bear on it. So Oh, that's that's on my to-do list. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Want a want a fun learning activity. <laughs> it's like an it's like the adult coloring book for nature. I love that. Yeah, and Bears, you are now a not-so-junior ranger, correct? Yeah, officially. Yes, yes, I have been sworn in. My patch is in hand. I'll, I'll need to get a cool denim jacket to put this on. Let's go. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. Our next episode will be out in October, so uh, Halloween times. We'll see how spooky we make the, <laughs> the episode. Possibly we'll be going up to Canada, uh, metaphorically. I don't think any of us have travel plans, but up to Canada to talk about Jasper National Park. Eventually, we're going to do an on-location episode. Eventually. But yeah, um, Hawk, who has been helping us with research for our episodes, um, is very excited to talk about some topics up in the Canadian National Parks. So hopefully we get to those soon yeah um and katmai national park is on land that belongs to the yupik kupik and altuk uh nations 
You can find more information by visiting native-land.ca. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yellparkypod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at yellparkypod. Um, We will definitely be posting updates um, with our opinions, our campaigns for uh, this year's Fat Bear Week Mm -hmm. as it develops on, on our Twitter. So follow us there. Yeah. Also, because I realized this came up at the end of last episode, we did get some very lovely geyser photos emailed to us, which was uh, just delightful. Um, and we did share them internally in our Discord. Yeah, thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ola's mom. We loved them. Yeah, we will take any and all nature pictures, so please do send them, actually. <laughs> and that brings us to our final Yahoo. <laughs> Yahoo! Yahoo!